everyone. Welcome to Startup Battlefield. Nearly a thousand companies have presented San Francisco, London, Berlin, and Africa. We call these companies the Battlefield 20. These companies are competing for $100,000 and the disrupt cups. Too good to be true. So now the question is, how big is the market? With that, we will go ahead and move to the winner of Startup Battlefield 2022. And that is... Let's give them one big round of applause. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Inside Startup Battlefield. It's me, your host, and Startup Battlefield editor, Nisha Thambe. Last week, we learned what goes into selecting the Startup Battlefield companies, how the top 20 companies prepare for the competition, and the elements of a winning pitch. In this episode, we're going to take a trip to TechCrunch Disrupt 2022 and listen in to the top five companies' stage pitches. May I have your attention? Please welcome TechCrunch Managing Editor, Matt Burns. Hey everyone, welcome to Startup Battlefield. There's a lot of you out there. To me, this is the best part of the show, and judging by the amount of you out there, I think you agree as well. Since 2008, nearly a thousand companies have presented in Startup Battlefield. We've held the competition in New York City, San Francisco, London, Berlin, and Africa, South America, and Australia. Let's go over the ground rules. These companies have six minutes to present, and then they're gonna get six minutes of questions from a panel of judges. The judges are grading these companies based on their potential for impact, and that can be either financially or socially. If the company's gonna change the world but not make any money, we wanna reward that as well, too. So with that, I think we gotta bring out the judges and get this show underway. Some of our judges this year included Aileen Lee from Cowboy Ventures, Milo Werner from MIT's The Engine, and Pei Wu from SOSV. Of the top 20 Battlefield companies selected, five finalists go on to pitch in front of six of these judges. I want to announce the five companies that are selected as finalists. Presenting first, Entropic Materials, AppMap, Advanced Ionics, Minerva Lithium, and lastly, Swap Robotics. They're ready over there, so let's get going. From Oakland, California, we have Entropic Materials, Presenting for Entropic Materials is Aaron Hall, founder and CEO. Welcome to the stage. 7.3 billion tons of plastic have been produced since the 1950s, and 86% of that has become waste. At Entropic Materials, we're commercializing a breakthrough enzyme stabilization technology that lets us embed the tools necessary to break down plastics directly inside of them. Plastics are made of polymers, and polymers are found all over nature, whether it be cellulose in vegetables, chitin in crab shells, or gluten in mac and cheese. I used to be a chef, so I think in food analogies. And we don't worry about these polymers polluting our planet and causing problems. Why? Because nature has evolved another class of polymers called enzymes that can break down polymers. They act like scissors, cutting up the individual chains so that the small molecules that are left behind can be readily broken down in the soil by microbes and returned back to the planet. And there are enzymes that can break down plastics. At Entropic Materials, our enzyme stabilization technology lets us embed the enzymes directly within the plastic, protecting them from the processing environment so we can turn them on at the end of life and degrade the materials from the inside out. This accelerates the degradation rate from months to years, 
down to days or weeks. At Entropic Materials, we're using enzymes to change the way that we make and break down materials. Join the movement. Thank you. Now we'll hear the judges ask the presenters some questions about their pitch. The first question you'll hear comes from Mariana Sanko of Future Ventures, followed by David Tisch of Box Group, and finally, Matthew Panzerino of TechCrunch. The first question that I have is on cost. When you talk about there is a lot of use of plastics, the counter use to plastics is either figure out how to recycle them or use compostable materials. How does your additive compare within that landscape? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. We're working with enzymes that are readily available. They're already used in a lot of consumer goods. And we're looking at sort of the tens of dollars per kilogram range, which is well within the sort of five to $50 range that plastic additives tend to be in. And because we're very efficient, we only need to use very small amounts. So we're looking at maybe one point, you know, small numbers, not two, three, four X. What is the moat? Like there's a lot of people who will be yes. going after this. Like what is the differentiation yep. for you versus other people who are going to try the same thing? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of the other players I see in the space are really enzyme engineering <clears throat> platforms. Uh, they're looking at trying to use AI to basically design enzymes to do things, right? Mm. And they're going to be limited in a lot of ways to the environments that enzymes are just inherently stable within. And those are mostly downstream plays, meaning they're going to have to still face the same challenges that the current recycling stream faces, which is going to collect, sort, clean, and then process into the package. Uh, where we can really differentiate is that we can actually go in at the beginning. We can think about going in at the end as well. That's not off the table. But by being able to go in at the beginning, it includes the tools at the, right at the start. Right? So it's like IKEA, you get your furniture. It comes with the tool to build it. You don't have to go find one. So trying to move fast. We're also working on IP and then there's some trade secret stuff. I think most of it was covered. Uh, what, what differentiates you from any other encapsulation company specifically? Because mm -hmm. are there a lot of enzyme engineering companies, as you mentioned? Well, not a lot, but there are a sure. few. Yep. Um, what about other encapsulation companies? What's your moat specifically? Yeah, so there's a lot of enzyme immobilization. This is not the first time anyone's tried some of this, this work. Uh, what we've shown in our previous publications is that we have some best-in-class performance, and it's a platform across a wide variety. Uh, so I like to use a kind of clothing analogy. It's small to extra large, and that covers a large swath of the enzyme space uh, that we can do without actually tailoring each individual design. And we can tailor if need be, right? Because sometimes it needs to be perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you yeah, very much. You. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. The, the judges were fantastic. They asked really insightful questions. Some of them we had very, very strong, clear answers for, and we have, you know, vision around them. Other ones, they're areas that we're working on, and that's good, right? Those are the things that you won't point it out because we need to nail those in. That's how we continue to grow as a business. So uh, it's like iterate, 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 and you're probably not building the right thing if all the answers are already there. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So I founded in 2020, like during the pandemic in May, and so this company building has been largely virtual. Uh, and so this is actually the first big onstage pitch I've done. Uh, startup journeys are never smooth. And so, uh, you know, behind the scenes, it's rocky and ups and downs and like, you know, tears and everything else. But sort of that like guiding light of, well, we're going to have the chance to actually put something out there and show the world what we're doing uh, and really bring attention and awareness to this big problem and this exciting space, right? It's not just all doom and gloom. Like this is cool. There's opportunity to do things. And so it was a win to be here. It was a win to get up on the stage. And I count it as a personal win to get to say my first big studio like stage pitch was with TechCrunch and that TechCrunch Disrupt. That's amazing. I mean, everybody here is so good, right? And we're all so different. 
every single one of these teams is amazing. All of the founders that I've met, they're so inspiring. It's also really nice to be amongst other founders and that kindred spiritness. Um, I, you know, obviously everyone's not going to win, but every one of these teams is certainly capable of winning. So I'm, I'm just super excited about the whole thing. AppMap came to us through a referral. I was surprised when I came upon what they were doing because the kind of visibility they provide to developers, very unique and very necessary. The founders themselves are just phenomenal. Their CEO, she's a total badass. They came at it with such an open mind and they really sucked the marrow out of this experience in the best way. With that, let's go to their pitch. Developers are the engine of growth and innovation, building the products we all rely on. But developers spend up to half their week in toil. Toil is the tedious work in software creation that arises from complexity. Toil robs 25 million developers of the joy of coding. This costs businesses over $85 billion a year in wasted effort. Developers are lost in a maze of tools they don't control away from the coding they love to do. Developers, if you're lost in toil, you need a map. App maps are accurate, up-to-date runtime data about software behavior as it is at any moment for any environment. AppMap is the only tool to shift performance and security runtime analysis all the way left into the code editor. Delivering the developer observability experience is a massive market opportunity to disrupt incumbents in the dynamic application security testing space and the application performance monitoring space. But there's another opportunity ahead to support the $40 billion of developer-adopted tools with runtime insights inside the code editor. Developers, AppMap is free for individuals, students, and open source projects in the VS Code and JetBrains marketplaces. Join us. AppMap helps development teams reduce toil and deliver more performant, secure, and reliable code faster. And for developer-focused organizations, let AppMap help you deliver more value to your users. Thank you. All right. This first question comes from Connie Macabella of Kindred Ventures, and the second will come from Aileen Lee of Cowboy Ventures. So it sounds like there's modes of being able to communicate to outside stakeholders with this work product, and then modes of being able to just manage your own processes better. Is that the two typical modes you see? Yes, absolutely. It's a personal productivity process, but I think the real value is to illuminate and create common artifacts that people can use to actually discuss state, um, which is invisible. <laughs> Congratulations, and also like, we're big fans of this kind of developer-led growth model, and uh, so it's very smart. Most of these companies who are developer-adopted first have to figure out monetization, right, to, to build a scale business. So how do you think about the kind of the evolution to getting paid? Um, what kind of features will cause people to pay you, and whose budget will it come out of? I think that's a great question. So as you know, developer-led growth, you really want to figure out how you can become the de facto standard, the lingua franca of the type of, of value you want to deliver to developers. So we did go with an open source freemium model to begin with. But as we were working with our developer community of 25,000 developers, we were able to surface what some of the higher order issues were. So for example, architects were doing hand reviews of, of maps to find N plus one queries and things like this. And those things are very, they're very interested in paying for those types of services. So analytic services, reporting, sharing, 
one of the things that leadership reports doing is taking these app maps in order to go get more resources to describe the technical debt and software flaws that are resonant in there. And does it need to rise up to like the boss of the developers? Because that's the person who has the budget, right? Indeed. Individual developers may not have budget. Mm -hmm. And in that case, does it come from the DevOps budget or did it come BPEs, from BPE? DevOps, managers of large development teams. Okay. Congratulations on awesome. progress. Thank you. Great. Thank you very well much. Give them a round of applause. You just came off the finals stage. How are you feeling? Relieved. <laughs> it's been an intense week. This was a tremendous and transformative opportunity for us. You know, as a software dev tools company, the TechCrunch audience is who we want to be reaching. And we had a tremendous amount of user growth between the first pitch and today's pitch. In fact, we had 3,000 new installations in 36 hours for our developer tool that we've been working on. So it's been really an amazing journey to be here. I applied because somebody said, hey, you should apply to this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And I didn't expect to be accepted and I didn't expect to be picked for the top 20 and I definitely didn't expect to be in the top five. Coming out of this, I feel that now we have a bit of a better foundation of, in terms of how we're looking to help and communicate and engage with our with developers around the world to help make their lives better. And going through this process allowed us to crystallize that vision. And I, I didn't expect that, you know what I mean? Like I didn't expect that to come out of this. It gives you a chance to revisit who you are and what you're trying to do in the world and make sure that you are centered in that. Advanced Ionics was a challenge to look at their application because they made some pretty audacious claims. When we are picking companies, we want to make sure we do due diligence to say that, yes, this works. Chad had been doing this since childhood. You know, he's from the Midwest. He's really proud of the company having its roots in the Midwest as well. And to be able to showcase that at TechCrunch saying innovation can come from anywhere from anyone. And it can be the thing when you were 16, just fiddling around with that turns into what will, I'm sure, be a you know billion dollar company in the near future. So let's go and hear him pitch. I bet you didn't think you'd be talking about hydrogen today for your happy hour. 90 plus percent of hydrogen today is used in just two things, and that's ammonia and petrochemicals. And so I like the ammonia example because I grew up on a family farm in North Dakota and hydrogen is used to make ammonia, which is a fertilizer that's put down to help crops grow, like barley. Now, these heavy industries are highly polluting. Over 30% of total emissions today is just from heavy industries like ammonia, cement, and steel. So in order to have a sustainable world, we need to decarbonize these heavy industries. Clean hydrogen can be made using a process called electrolysis. And one thing I really learned that is important for electrolysis, and it's still true today, is that electricity use limits electrolyzers. And even if your electrolyzer was free, electricity cost and the amount of it that you use just dominates so much. And so, you know, basically that's why Advanced Ionics was founded, is to set the new standard for industrial electrolysis. And we do that with breakthrough electrolyzers, reducing electricity requirements down to 35 kilowatt hours to make one kilogram of hydrogen. And we do this with what we call symbion cell technology, and it does what other electrolyzers can only dream of doing, eliminating the delicate membrane or brittle ceramics that are seen in every other technology. 
And what's amazing about this platform architecture is there's no expensive, rare materials that are used everywhere else. No toxic fluoropolymers or difficult to recycle chemicals. And then we do both the material side and the systems under one roof with our amazing team. By the end of 2030, we're going to have over two billion dollars in cumulative sales booked, and more importantly, abating over 10 gigatons per year of emissions by the year 2050, just with our technology alone. And that dream I had as a kid of clean hydrogen, making clean ammonia for farms such as my family's, will finally be realized. Thank you very much. The first question you'll hear comes from Peter from Stellation Capital, followed by Mar of Pair Ventures. You outline a super ambitious goal. What are the the technology risks of kind of continuing to scale up that you need to advance through over the next year to approach commercialization? It's not so much technology risk; it's a matter of putting stacks and testing them and getting those hours. You know, often with many startups, there's this chicken and egg problem of. Getting early partners and proving it out, we've been very lucky to have some really amazing early stage partners that are willing to take a risk and, and work with us. So this is the right time for a product like this.、Yeah. I'm curious how far we are from actually having this green hydrogen at a price that is competitive. Maybe you can tell、yeah. us about it and what's the you know what do you need to prove to get to that. So there's one thing under our control in our industry, and that's use less electricity. The other thing is really、um, we're riding on the coattails of the amazing work that the solar, wind, and other clean energy industries have done, and they've been the ones who've been deploying and driving down the price of clean electricity for all of us. And so everything that plugs in and uses that electricity, just like electrolyzers, needs that cheap electricity from them. And so it's important we use as little of it as possible. How far are we though? Like you have to, you know, the green energy has to get cheap enough, and then、yeah. you guys have, you know. It's a big job. I mean, the, our entire industry has to scale up. What I've read recently is there's some forecasts that we have 10 times less electrolyzer production capacity worldwide than we're going to need to、yeah. scale up this industry. And really, that's mirrored across many clean energy technologies, not just ourselves in the hydrogen industry. So we really need to get to deploying capital into companies like ourselves, but also a lot of other great companies to scale up this tech and start to have an impact. I'm glad it's over. I can relax finally, <laughs> and maybe watch some other pitches and get to enjoy what people talk about. I love answering questions. You know, I, I'm really in a very fortunate position to be able to educate people about hydrogen,、uh, but also learn from their perspectives, maybe as outsiders to the hydrogen industry too. You know, I, I've known about TechCrunch Disrupt for quite a long time. Of course, seeing it on the Silicon Valley TV show with that was pretty hilarious. I've had two to three team members, including myself, where I say drop everything if something from TechCrunch comes up that day. You know, every hour of the day, be thinking about what do we need to be doing for TechCrunch. Minerva Lithium is a company that I honestly just didn't believe when I was reading their application because when a company says they can process salt water and produce lithium in sub two weeks at a Higher rate than anything in the market that's ever existed, and their byproduct is potable water. You, you kind of have to say, is that is that real? Is that true? When we put startup battlefield companies on stage, we do require some element of a live demo, which they did. They brought the processing systems. They also took a live video of the process happening so that we could share it with the world. And that's what kind of differentiates us from other competitions. Is it's not just talk. We get to see it, and we got to see that with Minerva. 
Today, the whole world is transitioning to clean energy, due to which the energy storage market is expected to increase in billions in coming years. Minerals are fundamental for clean energy transition. And earlier this year, in February, President Biden announced to bolster critical mineral supply chain for minerals such as lithium, which is expected to increase more than 4,000 percent in coming decade. Lithium is a primary component in battery, and battery market is expected to reach 183 billion dollars by 2025, and this requires 1 million metric ton of lithium. There are various resources of lithium in the form of hard rock and brine. Mining lithium from hard rock is pretty much what you think it could be, very similar to traditional ore mining. On other hand, brine are the natural resources of lithium, which are present in the form of salt lake, oceans, and continental brine, constituting 66 percent of total global lithium resources. So. Solar evaporation is a current technique that is used to extract lithium from brine, in which water is pumped into large ponds, about 20,000 acres, and allowed to be evaporated for 36 months. And to just produce one metric ton of lithium, they use up 500,000 gallons of water. What we see here that we do have enough resources of lithium in brine, but lithium brine industry lack efficient direct lithium extraction technology to currently address exploding battery market. So, addressing these challenges, Minerva Lithium have developed direct lithium extraction technology using nanotechnology. These sponge-like materials are chemically and physically designed to just attract lithium and reject all other minerals. So, taking advantage of this selectivity, our process is two-step, which can extract lithium within 48 hours, processing it to battery-grade lithium. Minerva Lithium, with its disruptive technology and outstanding team, aims to provide sustainable energy technology to rapidly growing. Energy storage market, and this technology is not just limited to lithium extraction, but can be extended to other critical mineral extraction like cobalt, nickel, with the water purification as byproduct. Join me in this journey to make United States a global leader in clean energy transition. Thank you. The next set of questions comes from Rich Wong of Excel and David Tish of Box Group. First of all, congratulations on the progress. So, at scale, how will the cost profile of a kilogram or whatever volume or weight of lithium, how will it compare to the solar evaporation approach, please? So, for solar evaporation, just to produce one metric ton of lithium, they spend six thousand dollars, and VR cost is about thousand dollars to uh, extract one metric ton of lithium. Is there any downside? I mean, it seems like a dramatic <laughs> improvement. Like, is there is there so a logic? Is there a trade-off that's worth understanding? Definitely. So we are eliminating the operational cost, and we are also eliminating lot of chemical hazards and footprint, and you know, electricity. So these are some of the things that go into solar evaporation. Ours is room temperature technique. We do not use any forms of energy like electricity, and we have tried to reduce. The water usage and that sums up the whole price. Why won't you be successful? What will cause your company to not be successful? 
This company has various verticals. That's the reason uh, we have said that we develop sustainable energy technologies. And this is not just extended to lithium, but other critical minerals. And like I mentioned, and also water purification. So this is a byproduct. You put a sponge, and when you remove the uh, sponge, you also get water purified. So that could be one of the uh, other verticals that we can extend. So just, to just to clarify, you extract lithium from brine yes. and produce battery-grade lithium and drinkable water? Yes. Yeah. I, I got to jump in. Is that? Yeah. yeah. Just, just checking. Also, no. yeah. <laughs> I am Shiba Dawood, CEO and co-founder for Minerva Lithium. Our aim is to fuel the EV revolution. I have been to many on-stage uh, pitch competitions, but this was overall a different experience for me. What I liked here, they trained me continuously for four weeks, which I don't think so I would see this kind of uh, rigorous training anywhere else. And then also uh, helped me to gain confidence, you know, that I am expert in what I do. And, uh, you know, when someone says that, it boosts you up and, you know, there's no place for fear after that. Even though we live in North Carolina and Greensboro, we do not have companies like us around us. Like here, you have a lot of support and a lot of resources. But we just wanted to bring that awareness and we wanted to bring that awareness that technology like this exists and there's a potential to it. If we win, first thing is we will celebrate <laughs> uh, our victory. And I'm also hoping that we would get some investors. Getting investors is most important. Introducing the last company in the last round, we have Swap Robotics. Hi everybody, I'm Tim Lichty, co-founder and CEO of Swap Robotics. Working with Swap Robotics was really great. Their founder was such a gem to work with. One of the things that was really inspiring about Swap Robotics is he didn't have founderitis. So founderitis is this idea that Founders just really stick to their guns, but not necessarily in the best way. They struggle to take feedback. They don't want to pivot their product. Swap actually started out as a snowplow and they switched over to cutting these solar fields, which ended up being a multi-billion dollar market. And now it's doing very, very well. Like they can't even make robots fast enough to keep up with the demands, which is great. So let's go over to their pitch. Our mission is to make outdoor work equipment 100% electric. The outdoor world needs to be maintained, but there are two main problems today. Legacy equipment is gasoline and diesel powered, and there's a long-term labor shortage. To help solve these problems, we started by creating 100% electric robots for sidewalk snow plowing. In the summers, we were originally going to do grass cutting for sports fields, but we kept on hearing that these massive thousand plus acre utility scale solar farms were a huge headache. When we looked deeper into the problem, we learned a few things. Today, solar energy is the cheapest form of new energy. And after a power plant is built, the biggest ongoing expense is actually cutting the vegetation and the grass on that site. And so our solution was robotic vegetation management for solar farms. But the solution is so much more long-term. We built a powerful, modular robot that can be used for not just grass cutting or snow plowing, but dozens of outdoor use cases, like street sweeping or tree planting. And getting back to solar cuts, we've developed the world's first 100% electric rough cut deck that is able to cut down extremely thick vegetation. We also developed the world's first 100% electric grass cutting deck that is able to offset up to six feet to go underneath solar panels and around those I-beams. We launched our product 
in mid-2022. And there was so much pent-up demand that within 60 days of launching, we had over $9 million in signed agreements. So we started in snow, we graduated to solar cats, and we're building an outdoor work robotics platform. Join us in making outdoor work equipment sustainable. We're Swap Robotics. Thank you. Questions here come from Dave Samuel of Freestyle VC, Nisha Dua of BBG Ventures, and Lo Tony of Plexo Capital. Wow. I mean, just amazing. It's so awesome to see entrepreneurs like your team build this. And also, I grew up in Maine, so yes, a lot of snow being shoveled there. If you can talk a little bit about the unit economics. So, yes, high level what this costs, and as you were talking about, maybe you're looking at monthly usage and you guys own it, but just tell me a little bit about how you're thinking about the unit economics. So the, we operate on robotics as a service, uh, which is really convenient for the customers because they're used to already paying a cost per acre. And in terms of those unit economics, because we can run them as close to 24-7 as possible, we're not there yet, but over the next one to three years, we can reach $30,000 in revenue per robot per month. Uh, without going too deep into how much the robot costs us, it's uh, well under three months for a payback uh, on those robots. What does your um, go-to-market look like? Like, how do you yeah. sell to solo farms? And do any yeah. of these new investments um, introduce some strategic partnerships? Yeah, for sure. So there's three main categories of buyers. We're actually taking all three routes. So we're working with the O&Ms, the solar asset owners, and the vegetation cutters themselves. Maybe just your quick thoughts around the bigger vision that's possible with your technology. Absolutely. So we want to be really laser focused on getting to that first 100 million in annual recurring revenue. Uh, if we really want to create a huge platform over a 20-year perspective, that's the quickest way to actually do that, uh, to then have the budget for other use cases. So 90 plus percent of our focus is on those solar cuts. We are still working a little bit, but a lot less on the uh, winter sidewalk snow plowing with some strategics that can do a thousand plus robots with us. Once we hit uh, 100,000 million in uh, ARR, then we'll explore other use cases. Thank you. Thank you. Great answer. Picking a winner is honestly impossible, and I'm glad that I don't have that task. It's really up to the judges in the final round to pick the winner. Every company is the best in their field, or they are doing one of the most innovative things in their field. So to pick just one is very hard. What makes the companies stand out is typically, you know, they're making a step function change in their industry. They're doing something in a very novel, very unique way that's highly defensible. And also there's a great potential for an exit. So next week, we're gonna take a little detour to see what the Startup Battlefield 200 have been up to out on the floor and the discovery stage. Inside Startup Battlefield is hosted by me, Startup Battlefield editor, Nisha Thambe. We're produced and edited by Maggie Stamets and Grace Mendenhall. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch audio products. Special thanks to all of our founders, experts, and the TC staffers who lent us their voices and expertise. Inside Startup Battlefield is part of the TechCrunch podcast network.